It's the Emily T. Gale Talk Story Show, uh, Emily T. Gale Talk Story dot com, and also a new show I have, Say Nice Things About Detroit, on SoundCloud. And Tom Page, longtime friend, and and I just spent the morning listening to a show I did with Tom back in uh, June of 2015, and was just so interesting in hindsight talking about Detroit then, and then the Detroit mm-hmm. of today that we're going to talk about in uh, what march 2018 so tom thanks for taking the time i just first of all you know we we kind of reconnected back in june of 2014 i think at the shinola dog park opening so if you will give a, a little background of tom page and your history in detroit and how we met (laughs) <laughs> well, I think, uh, Emily, we met many, many uh, years ago uh, when you were this iconic figure of Detroit, of the Say Nice Things About the Detroit fame. And uh, we met back then, and I recall one of the you know, things that uh, we connected about was uh, uh, was uh, one of your shirts, uh, the Say Nice Things About the, or Detroit says our cops are top. I, I, right. I recall recall that, and uh, um, I guess I attribute it to my uh, my uh, parochial school education that, that there was a grammatical uh, error in that that uh, caused us to uh, caused us to connect. So um, that was many many uh, years ago. We went our, our uh, separate separate ways. In fact, I uh, wound up moving to California for uh, a big portion of my life, 25 years, and we were fortunate to be able to reconnect uh, back into uh, Detroit about it's about four years ago now. So, Well, that was important to me to, to reconnect and, and when we talked in the show and, and your history because at the time when we had the Detroit Cops Our Top t-shirts we sold at Emily's across the street, they had little pigs on them. And it, yes. in those days, everybody called the police pigs. And you had become a Detroit police officer. And I want to get into the conversation of how you became a Detroit police officer. But, uh, you know, I, I listened to the show we did a couple of years ago this mm-hmm. morning. And pigs, P-I-G-S, which is what everyone called the Detroit police. But you said on the wall in the, the headquarters was uh, pigs stood for um, – Oh, what, oh, I have it in my notes here. Pride, pride integrity, and guts. And guts. And I thought that and was guts. neat. You know, we made, we took those, that same pigs, and we put little pigs with uh, uh, police caps on, and that's how we came up with Detroit Cops or Tops, kind of making fun of right. that, that term right. associated with pigs. And even the Detroit Police Department had a wonderful band called the Blue Pigs that would donate that's their time to play all over the city. They played for our Emily Detroit runs, and, and so that was a quite an interesting time. But, Tom, I, I took about seven, eight pages of notes from our conversation this oh, morning. Oh, did you? <laughs> I, yeah, okay. because it was so interesting in, in terms of how, you know, Detroit, so many of us, so many people in Detroit, I always say that uh, families, you know, there's such legacies in Detroit, and your family has one, too, the way your parents talk a little bit about your mom growing up in the South and meeting sure. your father here and how – you know, you're going to U of D and how you got mm-hmm. into law enforcement was really your interest in, in urban studies. So if you don't mind, <laughs> yeah. all of that era of you being a Detroit police officer, 1,100 officers laid off in the late mm-hmm. 70s, I think, 
and and uh, everybody, L.A. Police Department coming and recruiting people from Detroit, and only four officers mm-hmm. made the rigorous training, and you were one of them, along with Chief Craig, and ended up in L.A. for many years, and then you moved back. Okay. So give us the okay. long story of that, because I find it very interesting. Uh, well, okay. Well, I, I was born uh, in Detroit, actually, at Harper Hospital, not too far from where uh, I, I live now. Uh, but my mother was from uh, from a southern lady, really from the, the the hills of East Central Tennessee, a very very rural uh, part of the South. And I remember going down there as a, as a as a youngster and visiting family down there. There was probably about 20 miles before there was actually a road that actually had a sign on it. And as a young child, uh, they didn't have uh, running water. Uh, or the indoor running water, everything was from the well, and then the bathroom facilities were with the with the typical outhouses. But that's what my mother, uh, that was the area that my mother grew up in, and she was one of those uh, people that came up to Detroit during World War II, along with her uh, older older brothers, uh, and she became uh, really a, a Rosie the Riveter. Worked in the Accelo Corporation, which made aircraft parts. Uh, they actually the the building was right in, in Highland Park, which is a sort of a separate city within the, within the heart of Detroit. So she was one of the part of the great, great Southern migration up to uh, Detroit, as well as some other Midwest cities there, during uh, World War II. Uh, and then we met my my father uh, after he returned from the service. Uh, he grew up uh, in Detroit, not really not far from from where I I live uh, I live now. Uh, he grew up in Detroit, a uh, typical family of the time of, of seven kids, and he was one of the one of the younger ones. And uh, he uh, joined the the service during World War II, uh, became a naval air, airplane mechanic, and uh, subsequent to to the war, they they met and and married, and uh, first lived in Highland Park. Um, which uh, right next to the old church of St. Benedict's uh, there. And there was a lot of Southerners, by the way, that lived in, in that area. In fact, one of the things I sometimes uh, share with people is that I, I remember very distinctly my mother's lady friends who were all Southerners and and uh, the famous comedian Lily Tomlin, uh, her family was from Kentucky and uh, so Naturally, when uh, I was of the age that I needed a babysitter, Lily Tomlin was uh, one of my uh, one of my babysitters. And, I, I and love that good. story, and I I, I would like yeah. to mention Highland Park. I have only right. learned the last few years from people like Colin McConnell, who grew up there, and, mm-hmm. and Marsha Music, Marsha Phillips. Yes, right, right, Park, right, right. And Highland Park was the center of the automobile industry in terms of where everybody lived, and it was a very white community, right? Yes, Highland Park was one of the the richest uh, communities, had the most uh, amenities. It uh, was a real growing community at one time. It was also known as the uh, city a city of trees, and a lot of it was very directly related to the automobile industry. In fact, that really all of it was. Um, Ford Motor Company, the really the first uh, assembly line plant, uh, was the, the Highland Park facility. Uh, uh, where they built uh, Model Ts and then subsequently other cars, and there's still relics of that plant that, that are, are still there. But Highland Park was a very, very wealthy uh, town. It bordered uh, Detroit as well as bordering uh, Antramic. And, like, and I think so much. Music, go ahead. Mark Music mentioned to me, I think, that she was one of the first Afro-Americans to go to school in Highland Park. 
So, sure, you know, sure. Started yeah. to change things. Okay, sorry to interrupt, but I, I those two people have been really interesting to me in yeah. terms of their being in Highland Park. Well, it's funny you, you mentioned Marsha Music, and I saw her last week, and we regularly communicate, and, and there's no doubt in our minds is that that our parents probably uh, knew knew each other. Um, my father was a, a radio TV uh, repairman. Uh, he, he was the typical greatest generation that worked two, three, uh, three jobs. But one of them was is that he would make uh, house calls on uh, to repair your phonograph, your TV, your radio, uh, any anything electronic. Uh, as sort of as a result of that, or in conjunction with that, he was very much a music lover. And um, that, in fact, when he would repair a phonograph, I would I was the tester, which meant that he would give me some records and he would say, okay, just listen to this uh, phonograph to make sure it's it's repaired okay. So he always knew music and always loved music. And of course, uh, Marsha's father was was Joe Joe's records and he Joe, had a Joe record ben. store. Right, exactly. So um, as there, there's no doubt, because my father knew that, that, that part of town. He knew Hastings Street. He used to tell me about going to the clubs uh, the clubs there. So uh, I, I'm sure in some way that, that the, the, the paths of our parents had, had crossed, crossed there in, in Highland Park. So I just, you know, just up to date on Highland Park, it's, it's one of those really interesting communities. Uh, Yes, there's a lot of decay in, in Highland Park. I mean, it doesn't even have a school system uh, at at at, uh, at uh, this this point. Uh, the old huge Highland Park High School, the facility is still there, but it's been closed for very very uh, many years. But what I'm seeing, and it's it's very very predictable. If you understand a little bit how cities grow and develop and uh, and decline. Is that, and I'll tell particularly any young person that has sort of a long horizon is that buy Highland Park now, get into Highland Park now because Highland Park is just really on the verge of very much taking taking off. It, it is in such a, a, a wonderful location, right between Midtown and and uh, the new center areas of Detroit, and it's also very very close to the Palmer Park area. Uh, the University of Detroit uh, area and, and those kinds of areas, and it has these great, great bones. So I'm starting to hear that pretty regularly from people that uh, that are starting to look at Highland Park, are starting to move in Highland Park, and and uh, there are some art uh, studios uh, and exhibit places in Highland Park. So uh, Highland Park is is not just the city of the past, but it's very much the city city of the uh, of, of the future. So yeah, that's where I was. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. So I was just saying. So that's really where I was. I got out of the hospital as as an infant, and uh, lived in Highland Park first, and then eventually we wound up moving to the uh, northwest side of, of of Detroit. But what I love is that you know in our our show that we did a few years ago, you had mentioned yeah. that it was when your father did those um, house calls that mm-hmm. you realize that the city was so many different ethnic groups you would hear different yes. languages oh, yeah. and, and that's when you realize that oh, yeah. you, maybe why you kind of got into uh, urban planning you really got interested in wanting to make a difference in the city yes I, there, there, there's no doubt and of course there wasn't an absolute straight line from uh going out with my father on his repair calls and 
going into police work and, and, and sort of city being city advocacy probably more than anything. But, but there's no doubt that the love for the city came from that with my going out with my father that I still, I, I still get the, the, the feelings uh, that I remember I had with him, the feelings of the different architecture, people speaking different languages, people of different colors that, that, that did not look like me, uh, cities that ran 24 hours, you know, that, that uh, people were getting up early and staying up late. It's just all the things about a city was just so, so fascinating to me. And, and it was fascinating to me how my father just seemed to know everything about the city, you know, where things were. He would never, ever uh, get, get lost. And he knew about the streets and, you know, who lived where. And it was just so fascinating uh, for for uh, me that uh, there's there's no doubt it affected all of all of my, my future choices. And so at a very young age, I became an advocate for, for the cities. And even going on vacation, which uh, very often our, our typical vacation was to go back to my mother's uh, uh, home hometowns and, and uh, again East Central Tennessee is that I would ask could we go through Toledo could we go through Dayton could we go through cities and if, if I'm asleep to wake me up and it was something almost yeah, I still feel it it was sort of romantic uh, uh, about it and there was nothing to me more more romantic than going through a city at like three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning those streets and and uh, the produce uh, trucks are out there and the newspaper trucks and lights coming on. And uh, there's no doubt that that really helped to help me to, to focus, uh, whatever focus I did give, to, to the, the, the rest of my life and, and what I would study in school and, and uh, what I would eventually uh, develop in, in, into careers. So very, much, very much that. So you went to uh, uh, UAD, but in college you, yep. you ended up at UAD as well and uh, studying yes. and gathered your master's in urban planning, right? Urban studies, yes, yes. So I, if we, again, as I mentioned, you know, we moved to Northwest Detroit, and and uh, I think this is pretty significant too. Is that not, we were not a wealthy family, and you know, I remember never forget a teacher saying, "Well, you know, this is a lower middle class neighborhood," and boy, and I was sort of stunned, you know, be, being called lower lower class. Uh, so we always had had things, always had plenty to eat and had clothes and, and uh, went, to, went to a parochial school, which which it was my mother, really, who did not graduate, did not get her high school degree until she was 60 years of age. Uh, interesting enough. But she was focused on education for her kids. And so when they chose the house, Northwest Detroit, it was right at, right around the corner from my a parochial parochial school, and I should add that my mother uh, was was Southern Baptist. She wasn't even Catholic. She eventually uh, converted, but but thought that education was so so important, and so was focused on what she thought would be the best education. And I think what's really significant for me is that, is that I went to U of D High, University of Detroit Jesuit, as a, as it's uh, called now, high school, which is an all boys. Uh, all boys school, and uh, that was a surprise to me. I guess to even be able to get into into that school, but that was a school that was not a neighborhood school. It was uh, you know a number of miles away from where I lived, and because of that, there were people from all over the area. Again, 
people that came from families that were, were immigrants. They came from families that had different languages and different economic status, and that really opened up my eyes to a lot of uh, what, what uh, the, the world had, had, uh, had to offer. And then from there, then I did uh, attend the University of, of Detroit, and uh, in about 1989, it, it did merge with Mercy College of Detroit, so now it's University of Detroit Mercy. And I continued on uh, in, in graduate school uh, at the University of Detroit Mercy, and, and my master's degree uh, at the Master of Arts degree in Urban Studies, which included a number of different aspects of urban sociology and, and uh, ur- urban life. And how did you, Tom Page, was speaking with us here on the Emily T. Gale Talk Story Show and also Say Nice Things About Detroit Show, which will be on both podcasts and, and online. And um, Tom, mm-hmm. longtime friend, but, you know, he started his career life in, in law enforcement in Detroit. And then in the, in the 80s, when there were a lot of layoffs, he ended mm-hmm. up going out to Los Angeles and being one of four recruits that was that were hired out of about 1100 who applied who had been laid off in detroit and tom i love how you Mm -hmm. share that you felt being a police officer was your way of interacting in the community and and being out there and not so much just the law enforcement but the whole being able to to uh interact with the community and and talk Mm -hmm. a little bit that your first years in detroit and then the layoff and and that process of going to l.a well, I, you know, even before I, I, I got in police work, I mentioned that I, I received a master's degree, uh, but I studied for that mostly at, at nights and nights and on weekends, uh, and because at that time I was working for the Wayne County uh, Health Department, and working for the Wayne County Health Department, I was involved in a program that dealt with identifying people that had tuberculosis and getting them treated, and that was in the heart of the city. It was in there. They, they were, it used to be known, and a lot of people still call it the Cass Corridor, really not too far from where the Shinola is. And and I worked in, in, in that area while I was going to school at night. And I, I think it was really that working in that that inspired me that uh, to, to do, uh, uh, go into law enforcement, is that I think I was frustrated about uh, what I saw. I saw victims of crime. I saw maybe a lack of responsiveness sometimes by maybe the uh, the police department. Um, I saw people that were victimized. I saw lots of different things, and and I thought, well, this seems exciting. It seems interesting. It seems like something that I could, you know, really have an an impact and would be challenging too. Uh, so it was at that point that I applied for Detroit Police Department, and for a number of different reasons, I wasn't hired for about three years later. Uh, part of that was was uh, there had been some lawsuits and some federal court cases regarding the hiring practices of the Detroit Police Department, and so they had stopped all hiring for a while. But uh, uh, eventually, then I, I did join the Detroit uh, Police Department, and worked primarily the northwest side of the city for about three and a half, three, uh, three and a half years until, as you said, uh, uh, that I was laid off in, in 1980. So uh, it's been 1977, uh, which is really hard to believe. It's like 10 years right after the uh, after the Detroit riots. And it was really a, a, a interesting time in, in our cities and, and in, our, in our country uh, to be a police officer. And so... That's what I did until, as, as you said, I did get laid off in ni- 1980, 
And because I was one of the, the last people to get laid off, laid off, I bet there were no law enforcement positions if I wanted to stay in law enforcement in, in this part of the, the country. And L.A. was recruiting, and I took a look at there and was uh, fascinated by that and uh, wound up uh, wound up uh, moving out to Los Angeles and basically starting all over again. Uh, when I say that, I mean... Uh, uh, you had to start from day one in the, in the police academy. Uh, an extremely uh, anybody that's experienced the LA police academy uh, uh, will tell you this is extremely rigorous uh, uh, training uh, with a very high failure rate. I think uh, uh, my class we started with seventy something, graduated thirty uh, thirty basically, and so very high failure rate. And a lot of it would be if you get hurt or some. Uh, couldn't meet the, the standards, and uh, that they would they would drum me out very very quickly, and so I did did that and started working as a police officer in in, in Los Angeles. But you know, Tom, I remember mm-hmm. that era so well of all the Detroit mm-hmm. police officers being laid off and and being mm-hmm. recruited by L.A. to coming to Detroit right. and having everybody right. apply positions. Right. I never knew until we talked that, that most of those people did not. We were not able to withstand the rigorous training, and what only four or five of you were actually hired, and one of those people was James Craig, who is now our right. Detroit Police Chief, and Tony Small. Is he with the Wayne State? Is that where he is, or that, he was? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Tony, well, yeah, now he's, he's Wayne State Police Department. Yeah, that's moving forward many years, but only a, a, a small handful of you, you know, less than half a dozen, were actually hired, and you were there for quite a while, weren't you? Yes, right. I was basically full time for LA for about twenty years, and then as reserve. But it's a, you know, I, it's probably it's a very very difficult process to go from a, a, a police officer position like we had in Detroit, and that you your experience, your experience dealing with citizens, your experience dealing with tactical situations, and then all of a sudden you're starting right over again. As as a rookie, uh, and for many people, it's it's very very difficult to. And, and probably the best advice that, that I had was just you just be quiet and put your head down and just take it take it day by day. And a lot of people can't do that. We've been talking with Tom Page, longtime friend. Although I didn't reconnect mm-hmm. with him, it's been about thirty years where we hadn't seen each other and reconnected a few years ago. And Tom's family, long history in Detroit. And- and Tom was just talking about being a police officer in Detroit when a lot of officers got laid off in rough times in Detroit back in the late 70s. And he was one of about four or five people that made it through a very rigorous recruitment process to go and be a police officer in Detroit. And you were talking, Tom, about you had to learn. You you know, here you've been kind of moved up the ranks in Detroit, right? And and had yeah. to go to play, and they told you to just keep your head down and don't say anything. You're a rookie now, and and the, the process of doing that. Right. No, that that's exactly right. I mean, LAPD is a very militaristic uh, type of organization, and uh, everybody comes up the same way, as, as as they would say. So, for a lot of people, it, it was 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 difficult. Uh, uh, certainly, it was difficult for me too. Uh, but uh, I had said, no, I'm gonna do this, I'm going to finish this, and uh, 
uh, and I did, along with uh, a number of other people. So. And at the time, did you just sort of uh, accept the fact that L.A. was your home and that's where you were going to be? Were you thinking, someday I'd like to get back to Detroit? What were your thoughts at that time? Cause yeah. A Detroiter. I mean, so many of us have that that history of Detroit because of our parents. Right. Now, I really thought that I would come back. I, mean, I, I didn't really plan on having a full career out there. I, I didn't really go out there with the idea that I'm going to have a, a complete career. Uh, if I went out there with the, with the chance to learn, to have a, have a decent paying job, and to experience California. Uh, and I fully expected uh, to to uh, return. Um, in fact, uh, it was a few years after I was out there that I actually did receive a, a certified letter from Detroit police uh, actually ordering me to report back to duty in, in, in a winter uniform. So, um, but at that point that I was established out in California and decided decided to uh, stay. I really didn't have a plan that I was going to return back to Detroit at, at a later period of time. But that it's really just how things uh, things things worked out. That, uh, after I did retire and my folks uh, were elderly and both of them wound up passing away, I started spending more time back here and it became sort of clear to me uh, for that and lots of other reasons that uh, I needed needed to be back here. But I still so think of like L.A. Go, go ahead. Kind of fun that while you were in L.A. you met my brother Max. Yes, I did. Yeah, that was one of the fun things that, that I did. Uh, it was part of working in, in uh in Hollywood division, working that area, that they had movie studios around and TV studios and uh, record pressing plants and all those really interesting things. And so uh, my partner, who was actually, by the way, a former New York City police officer, uh, shows you the melting pot of Southern, Southern California, Jimmy Samaneski, and I, uh, I think through a contact uh, of his, said, I want to go down to the the Barney Miller uh, show and, and set, and so so that's where what we did, and and then I I met Max, and of course we talked who, about who it. Who was uh, the his, part of Sergeant Wojohowicz? Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did, and I think many police officers would tell you, many police officers would tell you that that uh, uh, that show, even though it was a comedy, was one of the most realistic police shows uh, ever. I mean, the station itself and. Uh, uh, you know, Inspector Frank Luger, who was the, the boss, I mean, I, I, I remember I met him, I called him Inspector. I mean, I, he was just, they were, they, they really had just a, a wonderful, wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, show. And Cal it was Linden. real fun to... Uh, actor, and yeah, Detroit police officers would always tell me that. Wow, it's just so authentic. And I was always very <laughs> proud of Max, and he's, he's certainly proud of that legacy, the, the long-running Barney Miller show. Right. Well, and they treated police officers with respect. Yes. Yes, they did. You're right. Yeah. And the whole, they the did. Whole and they, right, they, they did. So, yeah, so Sergeant Wojoho had, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I still laugh because I know that his boss and, and the show could never pronounce his name right. And, <laughs> uh, and, uh, why they call him Wojnowicz or something like that. You know, in fact, that was one of the interesting things about moving from Detroit to LA is that I could pronounce Polish names. <laughs> and people in LA, how do you know how to pronounce? I said, I don't know, I just you grew up in Detroit that you, you know you know how to pronounce those uh pronounce those, uh, kind, kinds of names. What was that? Hamtramck mean Polish community yeah. at the time. 
Yeah, ex- 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 exactly, exactly. But a lot of my supervisors on the Detroit Police Department were were Wisniewski and Kaltenbach, and they, they were very, very much Polish. So uh, uh, that, so, that always made me um, laugh at that show. What a fortuitous thing that you, you know, growing up in Detroit and having that history mm-hmm. and that love and care of the city, but having by, you know, not so much by choice going out to L.A. to be a police officer, but mm-hmm. it was a rough time right. in Detroit when you were laid off. But, you know, coming back to Detroit, you know, what were your mm-hmm. your feelings when you – I, I kind of remember you telling me that when you came back, you would, you'd love coming back and, and that you noticed that there was a bit of a biking community. You had been kind of a, a – a, you know, a person who in L.A., you used your bike for commuting sure. and running errands and everything, but you came back and right, noticed right. there were few bikers. But I think what I remember you telling me was what you noticed mm-hmm. was that there were some people that were really rooting for Detroit about 2004. <laughs> you could say yeah, that. I would say, right. No, I, I would I would definitely say so, that, that I started coming back visiting and uh, and then I actually wound up buying a little place uh, in, in downtown Detroit, really fully expecting that this would just be a an occasional place when I came into town that I would stay in, but I would still keep my home in in, in California. But uh, one day, I and I, I don't recall exactly how it, it turned out, I think there was something in the paper uh, that it said there's going to be a bicycle ride to meet up me at Grand Circus Park on, on the day. And I said, well, geez, you know, that, that sounds like fun. I mean, I'd like to, I'd like to do that. And it was sort of at that point that I, I met a few people and then, then, then the, the few people grew to a lot more people, of people that were, were positive about Detroit, that wanted to do things, that had uh, good attitudes, if, 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 if you, if you will. And, but and that was. say about Detroit, right? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that was very, very critical. In fact, I, I found the same thing. That, like I said, I, I bought a, a condo uh, in, a, in an old, old building that had been left for dead probably for 50 years. Uh, and a Canadian developer bought it and fixed it up and uh, uh, met a, a number of people that were moving into this building. And, you know, we had a lot of similarities. We were very different in terms of careers and backgrounds and, and so forth. But... We all wanted to be part of what we thought was an inevitable resurgence of, of, of Detroit that we didn't want. We weren't suburban people. We weren't going to be living out next to a, on a cul-de-sac next to a shopping mall somewhere. Is that for whatever reason, it was individually important to be part of helping to bring a great American city back. And that was just so such a, a wonderful feeling that you knew that you you, you weren't, weren't alone. And we had this commonality of culture and experiences. We used to all joke about it that people would say, "You're moving where? You know, are you crazy?" <laughs> I mean, we all had that, and we all were asked, "Where do you shop for groceries?" And people would ask us these things, and and so you know, we we developed this commonality of interest and supporting of each other, and it was really out of that. That I even developed uh, some uh, uh, social networking uh, uh, avenues, uh, listserv, and eventually then Facebook groups that started connecting people so that we could help each other even 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 better. So and that's really sort of what that happened. And things just uh, with, there were some uh, ups and downs over the years. The, the great uh, 
a recession of a 2008. I mean, just really put a damper on on things. I mean, not just in Detroit, but but uh, everywhere. And some places haven't totally recovered uh, recovered uh, from that. But many of us sort of stuck it out. We'll be here, and we'll we'll, we'll uh, uh, you know we'll make we'll make lem- lemonade out of the lemons of of this town here. And and we we stuck it out and. Uh, uh, then, geez, five years ago, you could start to see how things were starting to to roar roar back. And I mean, Emily, it's just it's absolutely amazing to me. If I'm out of town for a week or so, and I jump on my bike and I ride around, and you see what is going on here now, I mean, it's it's accelerating, absolutely accelerating beyond I think what what anybody could could have. Uh, a match of with the number of businesses moving in, people moving in, the positiveness of of the the uh, the people, the energy. It's really hard to keep up. And uh, I don't know if you got the news out where you are, but uh, you may have heard what Ford Motor Company has indicated that they're going to be doing. A train station. Uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. You know, the- the whole thing about social media and everything is I'm not out of touch with Detroit. I'm 24 hours a day. Right. I'm in touch listening to radio shows. Right. There's so many wonderful shows now coming out of Detroit. Cranes is just doing a wonderful job. Oh, with, crazy. With their fantastic. Yep. Yeah, you know, Ron Fournier. There's an example. Yep. His father was a police officer in Detroit, mm-hmm. a motorcycle cop. Ron graduates right. from college, wants to work at the Free Press. His professor, Neil right. Stein, who was the head of the Free Press, said, Ron, take that job in Arkansas you can get. We don't have openings. Many, many years later, Ron comes back to Detroit. He's now the publisher of Cranes, and he and Mary Kramer and Jim Hayes and all of them, Colleen Robart, Detroit Homecoming. I've got to say this to the names names you just mentioned. You know, Neil Shine and Ron Fournier, they're all University of Detroit people, too. Right, so, and uh, oh, with that in mind, you're going to be inducted yeah. this year. Are you getting an award from UAD? What What is that? I know well, Mary Lutton, my good friend with uh, UAD, who's gotten me very involved, as you have, uh-huh. understanding uh-huh. the impact of UAD not moving out of the city and staying there and then merging with Mercy, the impact it's made in the city. But you have been right. just an right. amazing alumnus for UAD. Let's start with well. the <laughs> Well, again, I mean, I haven't received it yet, but they've already announced this and, and they've published it yet. And it's called a, an Alumni Spirit Award. Uh, that the university is made up of seven colleges, such as the uh, and schools like the School of Dentistry and the, uh, the College of uh, Business Administration, and, and there's the College of Liberal Arts and Education. And and each year they 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 pick an alumni from from those schools to to honor and. Uh, uh, you know, the criteria, you know, from what I've been told is somebody, an alumnus that has, uh, uh, has uh, contributed significantly to the city, to the university, uh, to our culture, and this year that they, uh, they uh, chose me. Um, well, let me I, just mention a couple of things in that well, regard that I recall is okay. that, first of all, you've, you, you know, you've been, I think, taught some classes at, at UAD, but you're on the Dean Advisory Board for Law Enforcement. I mean, I yeah. just know of things in the last couple of years, and or even just last <laughs> summer, you yeah. donated okay. bikes, Detroit bikes, to the university that the students can check out and use cool. around the yeah. campus. Six beautiful yeah. bikes, and they've got them set up in the intramural hall. And and you you started the homecoming yeah. bicycle ride they have the last yeah. year. I was yeah. honored yeah. to be 
see your partner yes. and lean that bicycle yes. ride. But you that said we need to take people through all the surrounding neighborhoods, and right. I had right. no clue of those neighborhoods. So going on that ride with you, particularly in terms of the recent years, so. Talk about right. some of those things that you have felt so committed about and, and, and your work with. I love when they presented you sure. the uh, the wonderful biking shirt that they now sell in their yes. books. That you just <laughs> yes, yes. That's a lot to talk well, about. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about there, but it was really exciting uh, for, for me is that I looked at what, what I enjoyed doing and that I thought was really important to discovering a city, to supporting a city, uh, getting around the city, and that's bicycling. Uh, and I would stop by the campus, and I would, really wouldn't see any bikes, and they really didn't even have any bike racks. And I remember asking somebody, well, where do they have bikes? They said, no, nah, the students here don't have bikes. And I said, well, you know, maybe we can start by putting some infrastructure together. And so the first thing I did was I went to the school and said, well, I would like to donate a bicycle repair station. Uh, and you might see some of these in, 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 in other cities, and they're just standalone bicycle repair stations that have all of the tools, have a pump, have a QR code that somebody can use their phone to, to find out how to make repairs on their bikes. And so uh, I, I was going to donate one, and then the school told me where they were going to put it, and it was sort of in a hidden away area by the dorms. And well, you know, why don't I donate a second one if you put it in a more visible place right by the fitness center? Because I know that people come to the fitness center, uh, maybe even alums are, are visiting, and I want them to see that bike repair station and start to think about riding a bike. In fact, they put a little plaque on it, and they quoted me, and I said, ride there. It's just a simple simple way. You don't always have to get into a car. You can ride there. And then from that, sitting down with the university and sitting down with the Detroit Bikes Company, which is a Detroit company. Uh, Zach Paschak, who's a Canadian, actually founded the, the company, uh, that he realized that, that the word Detroit has meaning to people around the world. It means that you make something. But established this company, and they use uh, U.S. steel. They actually do the welding, do all the manufacturing right in Detroit. And so I sat down with the Zach and said, okay, can we do these bikes in the, the university colors? And he said, yes. He said, we have some standard colors here. And I was already familiar. I've already had a, a number of, the, of their bikes, and so I was familiar with the colors. And he said, we can also do with high resolution the school logo and decals. And I said, okay, let's do it. I mean, I will, I will donate four bikes to, to kickstart this for the university. And we, we, we did that. And, uh, uh, you can't tell anybody, but they're going to get four more bikes this year too. <laughs> they're going to be a little bit, a different, different frame. They already know that they're going to be coming. So, well, so they're going to get that. I think his commitment, and of course Henry Ford, a gentleman by the name of Henry Ford, is one of the bike Absolutely. makers. Absolutely, the uh, wonderful rides in Palmer Park. But I got to ride one right. of those bikes when you and I led the. Um, you did, yes. Homecoming. They great bikes. Yes, I love them. And Randy Repecki, the first time I ever rode one was at a slow roll. Yep. First night I met yeah. in the pool, a slow roll, and Randy Repecki lent me one of his. And uh, right, but. You UOD thing where they put it, they're so noticeable now, right out there in front. And the presentation right. yeah. that 
that they've done with it. But that's just one of the many things that you've done in your support of University well, of Detroit. How many alumnus sure. are there from University of Detroit? It's just amazing numbers. They, of they say that there are 80,000. 80, but, uh, but i got to tell you this one other thing about the bikes, and, and they, I just was told this today, is that one of my ideas has been is that, look, alumni around the world, and like you said, there's 80,000 of them. They might want a bike. A lot of them bicycle. Why not get a bike that's going to show your university your school colors and that will support your school? So they are going to be making these available. Uh, they're developing the system now that alumni from anywhere in the world could purchase one of the University of, of, the, of Detroit bikes. And, and I look forward like seeing in, in Honolulu, uh, you know, on Waikiki Beach, the University of, of, of uh, Detroit, uh, Detroit Bike. That is so, just wonderful. It's, it's the, it goes isn't that the, wonderful? Yeah, the adage of wherever you live, work, or play, and Detroit is in your heart, right. you can say that's nothing right. about Detroit by the bicycle you ride or what that's, you say. That's right. And, so, but, Tom, you know, going yeah. back a little bit, you know, when you came back to Detroit, this group, Detroit Bikes, mm -hmm. you have two Facebook pages. What is it, 48201? No, wait, 48201, right, right. which is a, which is a downtown zip code. Uh, the, I, I, go ahead. And the Detroit Bikes, what I love about it is yeah. both of those are you showcasing going back a few years back when you started getting people together for like urban bike tours and you would stop at all the cool. small entrepreneurs, of which I've done in my right. whole life. So supporting right, the small right. people and you used to you started by meeting at a place down in the old uh, park shelton um uh, 1940 you know what's the name of the 14 east Coffee 14, Shop. 14 east yes started by joanne and my friend Ellen yes. Fricasa, who you know and ann Fricasa, they both yes worked, yes it worked with me uh part of the team at emily's across the street elena took me there the first time and then when i got talking with you and you told me that that was kind of your your clubhouse for the the right the right so talk about that that you know also what you what i interrupted you on as far as you would be but how you started weaving in showcasing small entrepreneurs in detroit for people who had no clue yeah well you know it's, it's how did i do that i mean it's like uh a part of it was uh there, there were a number of bike rides or a number of events going on in the city uh, I remember some of them were like pub crawls with people, and I don't drink for one thing. And and I thought, well, why couldn't we do like a, a bike ride, a bike ride to showcase maybe the small businesses, stop at these places, get people familiar with them, hear from the actual owners what their vision was, and, and support them. And I found that as soon as I did it, people loved it. People loved it, and they want to to be to be part of this. And so I started. In fact, this will be the the twelfth one coming up in, in November. Is what's called the Java Junket, which is just uh, refers to coffee shops. And so Joanne was one of the, and, and Fortini was one of the early early ones. But to put together a, a ride, a nice comfortable ride with like five shops, and would stop at each one of these shops and. Uh, let's see how many people we had, and a lot would buy something. But the important thing was not that they bought something now, was that they got to meet the actual owners of, of the places. They had to hear about their vision of what they were trying to, to do with the place, and uh, and then to come back. And, and, in fact, Joanne was one of the first people that would tell me. She said, no, your, your bicycle came back. 
they came back months later that they they uh, uh, you know stopped stopped in the store. So I started developing these themed kinds of rides, sort of touring rides, uh, and they were all free, and sometimes they were for various organizations reservation uh, Detroit and I guess that that became sort of my mark on the Detroit bicycling, uh, bicycling uh, but to this day and support uh, a major focus is to support and to introduce people to and support the, the small businesses and that's what makes a city so much fun Oh well, but what I love, you're fading out just a little bit, Tom, so I don't know if it's okay. that much too, but what I love is that while you're doing your, your uh, you know, bike route, the, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're doing your Coney Island ones and you stop at five Coney Islands right. or you're up in Entrepreneurs, right. and I love like Joanne is typical of so many people. She was an interior designer and decided she wanted to be involved in Detroit mm-hmm. and opened the coffee shop in that iconic building where uh, Rachel Lutz has um, – Frida and the Peacock Room, and, you know, those are all yes. new businesses, and the, the whole new generation of people that I'm meeting, which, and they've been so supportive and given me such a warm welcome, but I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in awe of the energy that so many are putting in, not just the, the young people, but people who have stayed and never left, people like yourself who came back and have given right. so, right. so much, given back so much, but you've been so supportive of other people, like uh, Jason and Mike, it's yes. slow roll, right. you yes. I, I love that, and I think there's so much of that. The bike shops. I mean, I, when I listened to our show from a few years ago, you mentioned, wow, three more mm-hmm. bike shops opened in the last week in Detroit. Right, so right, going to right, the Wheel right. Detroit down at the down at the riverfront with Kelly Cavanaugh and, and um, mm-hmm. Victoria Katinsky starting the Tour de Trois, and, and then Mike and Jason <laughs> starting Slow Roll. Right. Oh, by the right. way, you're... You're a fellow alumni student, uh, John Duffy, who you just found out this morning that I right, know. Right, right, right. I met at right by high school, right? So many expats and so many of us reconnecting with each other and bringing the past right. with the past. So just some share a little about that. You know, back alley bikes who have been there forever. Mogo, right. which is new in Detroit. There's a lot there. Right, well, yeah, no, exactly. In fact, you mentioned Kelly Cavanaugh, and I, I've got to add that she's another University of Detroit graduate too. Uh, and that's, that's yeah. So that's really one of the things that that sort of got me more interested in becoming involved with the university is that I kept meeting people that were doing some very interesting, some very fun things in, in Detroit, and that they had a connection to that university. And I remember I asked one person specifically, I said, this is sort of amazing to me, way out of out of proportion to the size of the school. And this person told me, said, well, that's what we were expected to do at U of D. We were expected to be involved in, in, in the community and sort of sort of giving back. And a lot of people made that job. So uh, that was, and I saw Victoria today, as a matter of fact, at another coffee shop where we were talking about the upcoming Tour de Trois. Uh, well, bike schedule uh, this year. Uh, this was at the new Avalon. This was the Avalon. Uh, uh, they call it a biscuit cafe. The one right on Grand Boulevard. Oh yeah. Okay. She opened up no, but... and up on and Avalon, of course, been in Detroit over in the Cass Corridor area or, or New Midtown. That, 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 that's that, that's right. But now they're, they're at the former the the Cafe Con Leche. And this place was packed today. I met somebody for lunch there, and I keep running into other people. It was just just packed, which is, well, gives, gives you an idea. Tour de Trois. Yeah, so what's going 
mm-hmm. what, about 8,000 bikers uh, through the streets of Detroit yeah. in September. Right, I right. love the, I, the, the yeah. grand, the first grand marshal. I have that title from a couple of years ago ever, and I love Victoria. Ah, that's right. Her warm welcome. She knew me from back in the day, and all of you are right. so welcome. And what I love about it is I get to participate in these things instead of organizing them. <laughs> <laughs> that's Believe me, I, I look forward to the day where I can do that too. Just show up and just ride, you know. Some, some, as you know, the, when you try to organize things and you feel responsible for every little thing and everybody, and you want everybody to have a good time, and sometimes it's just nice to be able to just uh, just ride or just uh, to uh, to participate. But, well, I'll but I, I find find my way. Squad, slow roll, you know, from. Jackson Robar and Jason and Randy yeah, Peck right, and Bruno right. and, and Jeff Sikowski and Katie Marinelli. You know, people come and go as squad members, but really right. is what's the tone for me about how I want to weave my my life back into Detroit. And, and mm-hmm. you have just, I'm I just amazed, Tom, at the, I don't even want, like calling it networking. I, I think I'd like to just call it the, right. the way to bring people together. And right, uh, right. you have say that like Todd Scott is with Greenways is the infra- infrastructure right. guy, you know. And right, for sure. Doing a great job. And you're the culture guy, you know, that brings people together in so many different <laughs> ways. I think that's really right. And there's so many just compared to when we talked a few years ago compared to now, the number right. of people that are doing things and the amount of things that are going on, whether it's at Eastern Market or even the, the right. amount of T-shirts being made. Everybody says, are there too many Detroit shirts? <laughs> I, I always say, no. It's like, you know, can there be too many Mexican restaurants or Coney Island? That's, that's exactly right. The spirit. Right. But, no, that is, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, but again, I, as I said, things are just getting faster and faster and more and more here. The energy is is is, is, is increasing. Well, let's is, talk a little is, bit about great. The energy increasing, and at the same time, just like we have here in Hawaii on the Big Island of Hawaii, where, you know, when I came here, there was only one stoplight, and now we're, you know, waiting for a two-lane mm-hmm. highway or four-lane highway to open up, and right, you know, right. it's sociological issues. They aren't unique to Detroit or wherever. I mean, right. I was somewhat sure. displaced when my Emily's across the street. We lost our lease. McDonald's wanted mm-hmm. our space. We took a corner that everybody laughed when we opened there, and made it one of the busiest corners in the city of Detroit, and somebody else wanted it. And In those days, mm-hmm. we called it somebody else has more money. Now it's called gentrification. But let's talk a little bit about that <laughs> That conversation. Sure. I think people in Detroit are doing very well about opening up the dialogue of that conversation to the Stephen Hendersons and the, you know, Marcia. Right. Uh, right. and, and there's so many that I admire that I'm learning from, and this conversation right. Right. How do you progress without displacing? I mean, the rents here in Hawaii, people that grew up in Hawaii can't live here. They moved to Las Vegas. Right, right. Well, so you know, that to... is, yes, you're right. But that is certainly very much uh, an, an issue here. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, as, as it were, uh, this city of Detroit had an incredible decline. Uh, as you know, I mean, it went from uh, 2 million people when I was a child down to less than 700,000, say 650,000. At the same time that the city landmass, of course, uh, di- didn't change. And so the, the good thing, what, what that means is that people really didn't need to be displaced as they had been in, in, in other cities. I mean, if you're going to build something in Manhattan, 
something, there's not vacant land to build on. Detroit, unfortunately, there has been. And there were buildings that were just literally left for dead. People did walk away. Uh, uh, people didn't put money into them and, and just let them, let, let them decay. So a lot of the, the redevelopment of Detroit has been with those buildings. There's been very, very little tearing down, of forcing people to, to, to move out. There has been some, but it was done, I think, and this is my opinion, and I'm sure other people will have a different different point of view, but done in a very, very humane way with plenty of advance notice, getting social service agencies involved, churches involved if they wanted to be, uh, to help people re relocate. Plenty of advance and even financial uh, assistance. So there's been... There's been nobody thrown out on the streets here, uh, you see. Now, there is the issue, of, uh, but there's good aspects to, to the, the increasing value of the property, the increasing rents. That, yes, that can uh, put pressure on, on people, no, no doubt about it. But one of the good things is, from that is that then people naturally go to a less expensive area. And Detroit does still have those close in and I see it by me. I see it I see it people into Highland Park that because of that they're saying, well I can get the same size house or apartment cheaper in say Highland Park and let me go there and, and save some money and maybe fix that place up. So that's the natural order of things, Emily, with 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 with, with, with city so uh, well, I like that because I think it's important to remember it's the natural order everywhere. It's not unique. It's in, right. It's, right. In fact, yeah, sociological issue that we all need to be cognizant of and have thoughts and feelings and share right. them. And, right. You know. Right. Right. You know, but you can't be a city providing services without a tax base. You, you just you can't. The money has got to come from somewhere in this city. And that was one of the stunning things to me when I when I first came back here. I said the, the amount of disinvestment was just stunning to me. I said it's like, and in terms of the bankruptcy we had a number of years ago, the judges realized it, and the emergency managers realized that it was like, wait a minute, this was 50 years in the making, and it was to me. When I, I said, didn't anybody care? Didn't anybody do anything? Well, there were people that cared, people doing anything, but the problems were just so, so massive. So we are creating a tax base. The city just showed three straight years of a budget surplus now. Uh, so great things are happening. You can't provide the services without some kind of a, a tax base. So that is what, what's happening. And, you know, so things are getting fixed up. Garbage is getting getting pick, picked up. The parks are getting fixed up. And who benefits from that? Everybody does. Now, everybody does. Poor people benefit from that. Poor people appreciate that nice, a nice environment. You know, some people would say, well, we have a new store moving in downtown Detroit where the, where the jeans are going to be $340. Well, you know, that's having lived in L.A. and Hawaii is the same thing. Uh, that it was nice to have Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. Now, did I buy anything there? No, but that's what a city cities are. They are diverse. Uh, they are they are diverse like that. And so maybe some rich visitors would like a pair of three hundred and forty dollars jeans, and you know, that 
that's that's that's, that's fine with locals. me. So Keep in rich locals because they're there, right? And and the thing about yeah, it, 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 when it, I right. hear that argument, I always say, which is a, a common argument these days, or you know, point that people make. I always say, wow, well, when they were making Cadillacs that most of the people mm-hmm. making them couldn't afford, nobody said anything. Exactly. Right. Exactly. To make those Cadillacs, and I. It's Tom Page we're talking, right. a longtime Detroiter in his heart, even though he spent many years in L.A. as a police officer after being laid right. off in Detroit and had been establishing mm-hmm. a great career in L.A., but coming back to Detroit. And you're just the, right. you're such an uh, exemplify something I used to always say to the school kids when they would come into Emily's across the street and I'd talk to them. And I used to say Detroit is a big enough city that it makes a difference in the world. And a small enough city, an individual can make a difference. And I always hear from people, oh, you were the one making a difference. Well, there were lots of people making a difference when I was doing my thing in my heyday in the 70s and 80s. There were all kinds of people. And they were. we mm-hmm. all worked with each other from Chuck Muir with the Pajazz and Brian McDonald with wow, Two Kitchen wow. Saloon, Woodbridge Tavern. I could go on and on. Yeah, right. All, wow, so was iconic. So many places. Yeah, the Mexican restaurants. They were all part of our aid stations, Detroit Tigers. Detroit Tigers, Ellen Hill Zerang, who is uh, the marketing person at Detroit Tigers, first Afro-American hired it with Major League Baseball to, to be in a capacity mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that. What a difference she's made. They've put She's put bike racks out in front of Tiger Stadium, or uh, Comerica right. Park it's called now. But you are mm-hmm. you know, that kind of person, you know, that you, you've made such a difference. And what I love is there's so many that are making a difference. And more importantly, yes, there's so many who never gave up for years and have been making a difference every right. day in block clubs and their community groups or organizations. Yeah. And that's Absol- important. Absolutely. To remember. absolutely. And now to see some of the foundations over the years. I mean, that's one of the interesting things that happened here is that foundations made tons of money from Detroit when Detroit in, in its heyday. The, the Ford Foundation, the Hudson Weber Foundation, the Kresge Foundation. I mean, the, the basis of, of their their foundations were money that was created in Detroit. And then, frankly, a lot of them really turned their backs on, on Detroit and didn't support in Detroit. And over the last maybe a dozen years, I guess, there's been a change in, in that, that even those foundations have have really stepped up their contributions to Detroit and are being part of the solution. The Ralph Wilson Foundation, this is, uh, I don't know if you followed this very much, but Ralph Wilson was the owner of the Buffalo Bills football team. I followed him for years because he lived out in Gross Point, I think, didn't he? Yeah, he absolutely did. He has a Ralph Wilson insurance agency here in Detroit. Yeah, so he uh, when he he passed away a few years ago. I mean, he had a huge estate, the billions, uh, that that level, and and he has donated the money to foundations that support primarily uh, Detroit and Buffalo, New York. In fact, I guess the majority of this comes to Detroit, and they have a timeline. Is that they have got to spend this money? I think there's a 20-year timeline, and in fact. With the, how the economy was and the stock market was last year, uh, they actually fell behind in trying to spend their money, that they wound up with more money than they started with. But but they're actually building the, their offices as we speak right at the corner of Woodward and Grand Boulevard in, in Detroit. And they're, they're going to be uh, having a major impact on a lot of the quality of life issues uh, in, in the city of Detroit. So 
So that's one of the things. And now we yeah, hear. They have done a wonderful he, job of giving back, not just in, in to other organizations, but to individual artists and, and uh, fellows exactly. that they've heard. And I think it's really right. admirable. At Detroit Homecoming, you know, they've had the, the heads of each of the foundations speak. And Detroit Homecoming is often uh, created by cranes. And Jim Hayes was the, along right. with uh, Mary Kramer, creating that. The whole right, idea right. Paths back to Detroit and having them get involved. What I like about it is it's made people realize that you don't have to be living in the city to be doing good things for the city. I always felt I was espousing that while I was here in Hawaii trying to work my way back to Detroit. I could still mm-hmm. be an advocate and an ambassador, and but just have the foundations put the money that they are now in Detroit into right. individuals right. and organizations. And I think that, you oh, know, yes. most of all, you know, when you another area the the sports teams i mean i've been really following wayne state you know because wayne wayne you know right in the city first of all i think it's important that uad it was pretty controversial wasn't it when uad stayed in detroit university detroit rather than moving out well yeah both the high the high school also don't forget the high school which was uh, the university of detroit high school that uh they celebrated this last year the 40th anniversary of their commitment to stay in detroit the rest of the Catholic schools left. They moved out. U of D High uh, stayed and has prospered, prospered tremendously, built a new science. Same thing with the university. I mean, it, it really, uh, there was talk about it moving. They had the, the land. They, they could have easily left the city of Detroit, and, and they decided to, to stay. And, uh, you know, that, that took uh, some gumption, if, if you will, and they probably lost some money by doing that, but they're going to reap the benefits. I mean, the natural order uh, of society is the movement to the city. So this is not a new trend. And that also the cities do go up and down. Rome went up and down. Detroit has, Detroit rapidly rose at the the early 1900s and declined rapidly. But now it looks like we're really, truly, building a sustainable uh, city and it's nice to see those institutions as being major major parts of that and then we mentioned the train station and and the 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 ford motor company uh, it's not really an announcement but they're, they're not denying it is that they're looking to to either buy or lease the train station and move people in there and so this is uh i, I foresee emily some unbelievably fantastic things chrysler even Chrysler is moving some of their historic vehicles to uh, a former Viper plant on the northeast side of the city. That, that my feeling is that we could be on the verge of having all of the, the three major automotive manufacturers having major presences in Detroit and maybe have a, a number of different automotive museums right in the heart of our city. So some great, great things are, 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 are happening here. It's a, it's probably the most, uh, I, well, to me, from what I've seen, they're the most dynamic city uh, in this this, uh, this country right, right well, now. And PM has done a wonderful job with the Renaissance Center when they moved in there with the riverfront yes, and yes. the contributions in that regard. So, well, Tom, we could go Absolutely. on and on. I have lots of stuff okay. here. We'll save it for another show over the next month or two. Okay. I think it's really interesting. To, to get your take, you know, today from when we talked a few years ago. Of course, I see you every time I'm, I'm in Detroit because I am one of those people that you make sure I'm taken care of when you see me in a bike event. Right. <laughs> yes, that's you know, absolutely. You know, whether it's put air in my tire or whatever. Right. Uh, 
I always always appreciate that so much. It's Tom Page we've been talking to has a long history in Detroit. Okay. After many years as a, um, a law enforcement out in L.A., when he was laid off in Detroit in the late 70s. What was that, early 80s, you say? But it came 1980, back. I got laid off, yep. His Facebook page is, is um, uh, the uh, – the, what do you say? I'm getting my notes here. The bike – I look at it every day because you are Detroit Bikes. I You are so good about posting things that can help anybody yeah. who wants keep up with Detroit because you, you're yeah. all over the place in what you you post and let <laughs> us know about. And I think it's wonderful. And, and again, mm-hmm. you're one of those people that is uh, just really exemplifies about Detroit being, you know, a big enough city that makes a difference in, in the world. I always said Detroit is a precursor to what goes on everywhere else. But it's also right, a city right. that individual can make a difference. And, w- again, I just said it a little while ago, but what I love about it is you and you are so encouraging of other people who are trying to make a difference and supportive of the things that they do. And it's not about, you know, yeah. what you're doing. It's about inspiring right. others to do that. And I think that's right. really admirable. And I, and that's, that's the Detroit people. It's the people in Detroit that make it such a wonderful I agree. City. It it, it absolutely does. So, Tom, last thought. So, you know, okay. I know yes. you'll always say nice things about Detroit and give me a warm welcome. I absolutely <laughs> appreciate that. And uh, I just, uh, last thoughts to our listeners. Uh, come to Detroit now. I mean, come to Detroit now. You can still, it's still not too late to be, to be part of this, this fantastically uh, growing, growing city. Um, and it's the people here too. It's not that the trade people are so different, but it's that there is a bond here, a welcoming here, uh, a lack of pretension. And, and I hear this from visitors over and over again. Uh, that that really does sort of make it it uh, unique. So. Well, two things that came to mind when you just said that. One is the parade of Detroiters that are here all the time. Every never every day there's somebody from Detroit. I just met up with. Uh, Paul Eisenstein the other day, he's with the Detroit Bureau Automotive Journalists, and, and he was at the Mauna Kea Resort where they were launching the new Hyundai car, of course not a Detroit oh, brand, okay. but right. it's called right. Kona, and it's called the Kona, which I think is interesting. Oh. <laughs> and, and so we met yes. up for lunch, but I'm always meeting Detroiters, and they're all so proud, you know, to, to, that they are from Detroit. They'll see my Detroit cams, I'm from Detroit, you know, they always have something right, to say. Right. I give them a sticker, and the other day, Somebody bought something from me on Craigslist, and I love talking to people. I think that's an important thing that you would say, too. Nothing like engaging in conversations and finding out about people's stories. So this was a a friend who I'd known for a long time, worked at Montelani Resort, and then he got into construction, and we stood out on the sidewalk and talked the other day after he bought some golf clubs from me and and, um, Mm -hmm. got talking. And I said, you know, about his background, found out he grew up in Sedona, and his his grandfather – started Jerry Mountaineering or the Jerry Sports was the, the inventor of a lot of things that they use in mountain climbing and, and created the first nylon backpack and all kinds of stories. Oh, really? Wow, wow. Story. And it reminded me of the importance of getting people's stories. But he went on to tell me when I handed him a to say nice things about Detroit sticker, because he knows a lot of my friends who come from Detroit and stay at Montelani for a couple months, because he worked at the golf course and uh, got to know them and we all mingled and everything so i gave him some say nice things about detroit stickers he said oh my boss went to detroit last summer and he loved it 
And I said, is he from Detroit? And I, he said, no, he just had heard about it. He loves music, and he, he wanted to go, and he has not stopped talking. <laughs> As he said, right. he has not stopped saying nice things about Detroit. So it is a destination okay. city, always encouraging so many right. people to go to Detroit, and there there have been people from here who have gone there and, and run in the International Detroit Marathon. They've ridden their bike yes, in the yes. uh They've gone to the Grand Prix, all kinds of things. So it is a wonderful place for, to visit, for sure. It is a destination. Hawaii isn't the only destination Great. in the world. So, Tom, thank you <laughs> right. so much for your time. Thank you, Emily. And I'll see you in a few months. And congratulations on your, your award from UAD. Well deserved. Uh, and, uh, I appreciate that. And Dr. Garibaldi, right. is that how we say Garibaldi? Garibaldi, yes. Garibaldi. Antoine Garibaldi. Yeah, what a wonderful job he's doing. And I think yeah, I should mention really. that the president of Wayne State is a big bicyclist, and he started an event at Wayne right. Yeah, it's Dr. Roy Wilson uh, at Wayne State, and, and he started something, and I'm involved with that too. Um, with the, it's called the, 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 the... ride in it. What was, what was that? You, you encouraged I, me to ride in it. I think it was... Met oh, yes, yes. This year I'm going to try to do that. Oh, wonderful. Well, it's called the Barrow which is a French word that means basically warrior, which is the nickname for uh, Wayne State University. And there's, uh, this year there will be four different uh, route lengths that people can participate in. And that's a 20-mile, a 37-mile, a 50-mile, and then, uh, and this is what Dr. Wilson goes on, the 100-miler. And uh, uh, we all start at the same place. Uh, the times are, are staggered, and it's it's, it's the money uh, all goes to support student scholarships. So it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, event. And I coaxed them this year, too. I'm on the, the committee. I said, you got to put something more about Detroit, like on your T-shirts and logo. And so they proudly showed me. And here's the skyline of Detroit. And it says Wayne State University. And it's got the big W. And, and I thought, if I'm President Wilson, I'm going to like this a lot. So... I'm real happy, happy with, 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 with that. And so, and again, we talked a lot about, you know, my alma mater, the University of Detroit, but the, uh, even the people at Wayne State said, well, I'm sort of an honorary Wayne Stater uh, also. And what they've done, and Dr. Wilson and his predecessors, they've reached out to the community, have made it a neighborhood school. Um, it is really, it's a, the largest urban medical campus in, in the country. A unbelievable things going on at Wayne State University. And, you know, I would just add this. I've heard the same thing from students at Wayne State that I have at the University of Detroit when I asked them, why did you choose this city to go to school? And they, they very frequently now say, well, it's because they're in Detroit. Is that the idea that they want to go to school in Detroit. They, they, they know about the energy. They told me oh, all the artists are moving to Detroit. And that's not true, but it's nice to hear. But but it, it, what a change from uh, not too many not too many years ago that they want to go to school here because they want to experience the Detroit urbanness. Well, that's interesting because I mean I've had so many stories from here. Last year after the Ironman, I was in a, a coffee shop and somebody came up to me and said, "What's the odds of two people in this coffee shop both having on a Detroit shirt?" And they had on he had on a Run Detroit shirt, which uh, 
Oh, really? Yeah, Justin down Run Detroit next door to us. I know. I love what he's doing. Yeah, right, right. I asked the guy, and I had on to say nice things about Detroit shirt, and I asked the guy, oh, where are you from? I think he was from New Jersey or something. And I said, how is it you happen to have a Run Detroit shirt on? I love what they're doing. And and the first running store ever opened up in Detroit a few Uh years ago. Right, right, right. My daughter... Is got a scholarship, a lacrosse scholarship at University of Detroit, and she really wanted to go there and be in Detroit, and she sent me the shirt. Yeah. So those stories are really everywhere. Wonderful, yeah. great story. So, okay, yes. Tom. Okay. Alrighty. Aloha, and uh, look forward to staying. Aloha. Aloha, Emily. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Big, big hug and, and love to you, Tom. Thank you okay. so much. Likewise. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye.